I'm not here to poke holes and suspended disbelief. Anyway, they see some weird shit. They decide to make a baby. Thou merkin merchant. Who gives a fuck? Oh my god, we're just going to start calling you Damien Yeltsin's billboards. Well, you know, uh, I really like it here. Uh, it's kind of nice. And uh, it's not as cold as back home and the sun is a lot better. So yeah, sure, I think we're going to settle. If I'm a peasant boy who grabs a sword out of a stone. Yeah. I'm able to open people up. Well, yeah. Anytime I hit them with it, right? Yeah. So my cleave landing will make me a cavalier. Good day, sir. If Siskel thought it was empty-headed plebeian trash, it was probably <laughs> really good at groove on it. <laughs> because cannibalism and murder. Pull back just a little bit and build walls to keep out the redheads. Authorial intent doesn't exist. Some people stand up and wipe their butts. Some people stay seated and wipe their butts. Like, it just... This is a Geek History of Time. Where we connect nerdery to the real world. My name is Ed Blaylock. I'm a world history and English teacher of sixth graders uh, here in Northern California. And um, we we don't broadcast these in the order in which we record them. So this this may seem jarring to to listeners. But um, I mentioned in a in an episode we recorded earlier that thirteen year old me was like ridiculously amped. Uh, that a a particular model uh, was about to be released for Warhammer Forty Thousand, um, and uh, that model was released, and I picked it up and I held it in my in my shaking geek hands, and and had the opportunity to open it up and look at all the parts on the sprue and and have my geek out, and that's awesome. The problem is I have been away from the forty k hobby for. I mean, since I really picked up a brush or did anything, it's been over a year. And uh, since I was playing the game regularly, it's been longer. And uh, the 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 problem I'm now running into is um, I I have that one model, and I have a plan for a whole fucking army to go with it, which would be awesome except finding the money to buy the models hmm. and and the time to build them and paint them and then play the game again is is in short supply so um still no regrets mind you hashtag worth it like a thousand percent but um yeah i'm i'm spending way more of my waking hours uh in the 42nd millennium than is at all healthy right now um and i'm and i'm falling back into the oh my god i'm going to rebuild a pile of shame uh mode so yeah so that's 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 what i have going on right now um how about you well i'm damien harmony i'm a latin and u.s history teacher here at the high school level in northern california um your story reminds me of the productivity circle the productivity circle you know you can have it one you can have three things <clears throat> and you have to pick two. Yeah. So you can have model or you can have miniatures. Yeah. You can have them painted and you yeah. can have sex. <laughs> pick two. 
Uh, you know, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, so there you go. Not entirely wrong. <laughs> uh, not entirely no, wrong. For me, I I was um, not painting miniatures or buying them uh, the other day. And uh, my phone went off. I, so I did not answer it because it was taco night. And um, I. That's a good I, reason. Yeah. And and then I saw that they also tried to FaceTime or like, yeah, I think FaceTime or Facebook video chat me mm. like, OK, clearly this is a friend of mine who's very proud of something that he's done. Um, and he loves I mean, he's somebody I've known since I was 13. Um, so he loves sharing with me uh, the things that he loves. And uh, he loves hearing from me the things that I love. Like, it's a really wonderful friendship. Um, <clears throat> I call him a couple days later. So I think yesterday as a break for my research, as as a reward for watching some of the things I had to watch for this show. Mm. And uh, he he and his wife adopted a baby girl. <laughs> Like, oh my god this is awesome uh so i got to meet her and uh, mm-hmm. she's like three days old yesterday so four days old now um as of this recording uh by the time this releases she'll have a favorite liqueur um probably <laughs> tap dance lessons and, uh, yeah and a boyfriend um, or and a partner yeah 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 um yeah. but uh but as it stands right now my friend is a brand new dad um, and given that he and I met when we were both 13, that means he is 45 and just starting this. And man, I feel his pain. Uh huh. Like I'm like, and, and I, I dare say he doesn't know what he's getting himself into. But I also say that about anybody who has ever had children, because if they knew they wouldn't. They would paint and buy miniatures. That's all they would do. So, um, but you know, I'm I'm very happy for them. They did not. Uh, I, I will not be disclosing names as I did not ask their permission to tell mm. this particular story. So, okay. if you are that friend, you know who you are. And if you aren't, it could be any number of my friends who are my age, because I've known quite a few people since I was 13. Um, so. Uh yeah, it's it was it was really cool. Right. It was it was really neat to see somebody just starting it, um and and knowing that I am on the tail end now. <laughs> Both of those things are true. Uh, you're you're I'm, I'm in the final third. You're, mm, yeah. yeah, but in some ways it's the most challenging part. Not for me. Remember, because okay, the, the, right. this is the age group that I excelled with. Um, always have. Okay, all right. So. But uh, but having said that, I will um, withhold further commentary. Sure, sure. Uh, but um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I I did a decent job up until this point, but now I'm in what mm-hmm. I call the tumble and polish phase because there's not much direct <laughs> stuff that I need to do with them anymore. Now it's just like uh... here's some guardrails. Let me know if you fall down. Like, yeah, know, it's yeah. very much that. So. I look All forward right. to hearing you and uh, and one of our guests get to that point. Um, so speaking of guests, uh, speaking we have of two guests again, and just so everybody knows, this is the fourth uh, iteration of this episode or fourth fourth episode of this series. Um, Here we go. If you don't know what we're talking about, you really should read the titles. Um, this is either part four or D. Um, either way, uh, you should be going back to A or part one. And work your way forward because that's that's how things work. I don't know 
what kind of weird ass choose your own adventure way of listening to podcasts you're doing here. Um, but I strongly you're psychotic. You. Yes. Yeah. You are a monster. Um, but <laughs> uh, Ed, would you like to introduce our guests? Uh, yeah. Um, our our two guests have uh, long experience in fan spaces, uh, as you would already know if you're not a psychopath who listens to podcasts out of order. Um, and this time I'm going to hand it off to Sean first, uh, alternating. Uh, Sean, go ahead and introduce yourself to the people. Hi, I'm Sean Smith, and I'm a um, computer geek, uh, uh, engineer by trade, and uh, fanfic writer, occasional uh, and video editor um, by hobby. Very cool. And uh, Tessa. Hi, I'm Tessa. Um, I have a lot of experience in fandom spaces, specifically as an artist, where you will find me either drawing deeply emotional, heartwarming stuff, or absolutely depraved porn. There is no in between. All right. Well, there we go. And when we last left off, we had gotten out of the Usenet era uh, and we were moving out of the uh, fanfiction.net era we were talking about rating systems if I remember correctly so let me just let me just kind of ask and I, I might be opening a can of discussion worms here by by phrasing the question this way but why are rating what why is the existence of a rating system or the implementation of rating systems by fan fiction uh uh repositories archives uh why is this such an inflection such an important inflection point in the development of fan fiction culture well there's two so the first one is that there's a legal aspect, which is not so much because there's necessarily like an actual legal standing, but there's an implied moral high ground of people who would prefer to limit access to certain amounts of content or certain types of content, which we're seeing in legislation and things like that uh, right now. But um None of that is new. Um, there are people that have wanted to limit people's access to materials. Um, and so having a very clear, um, very consistent um, and well-organized and accessible um, way to allow people to sort through media that they interact with um, gives that supposed moral high ground of well we're putting the information out there we're being very transparent and so there's it makes this look like a more um, legitimate system but then there's also the aspect of implied consent because when a person is engaging with a piece of media if they don't know what is in media they're not actually consenting to what they are going to consume like Technically, yeah, they're opening the file or they're watching the thing or they're doing whatever. But unless you actually know like what's in it, you decision that is best suited for your needs. Um, and especially with certain types of content that can be triggering media for people 
um, of different situations, like people who experience domestic violence or people who have experienced sexual abuse or just people that don't want to read about those things because they're uncomfortable. Um, it, it has to do with that consent piece. And so the more clear um, you can be in your rating system and the more specific you can be in your rating system, the more informed that the reader or the viewer will be. And so everybody's happier because the viewer will be able to engage with content that they are comfortable engaging with. And the creator will have people engaging with their content who want to engage with it. And so their possibility of having a more negative reaction from a consumer is greatly reduced and the abuse that they can experience um, due to the non-informed consent is also greatly reduced. So that's, I think, I think it would be the most succinct way to answer that question. Well done. Okay. All right. Look at me go. No notes, no questions. That yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that, that makes a lot of sense um, mm-hmm. in, in regard to, in, yeah, I guess what I the the follow on question to that is then how is this a what is the what is the historicity or what is the history of that development? Because okay. we 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 left off on the last episode using this as the like historical inflection point. Mm-hmm. And so what is it? Yeah, what is it that what is it that what is it that shifted there as we as we move from Usenet and the and the earliest beginnings of fanfiction.net mm-hmm. what what was the what was the what coalesced there um around that within within fanfiction culture and mm-hmm. outside of fan fiction subculture what what are we what are we looking at mm-hmm. as the as the forces at work there so i guess if it's okay if i start with this one um i'm going to be coming at this with uh again like a queer creator lens um and someone who was engaging with um a lot of queer content um both through fanfiction.net adultfanfiction.net may it rock forever and then subsequently ao3 and tumblr um, but essentially what it started with was a very generic rating system with minimal understanding of what it was that you would be reading. And what you have is a platform in which anyone can create anything of their liking um, and anything of their interest, anything of their fancy. And as we start to look at more mature content, anything of their kink fetishes, etc. Um, and so when you don't have a clear way to let a person know, like a cliff notes of what they're going to be walking into, when you see something that has a rating of R, that R can be for numerous things. It can be for scary themes. It can be for violence. It can be sexual content it can be for any combination of them it can be for language um yeah i was gonna say some of my earliest interactions yeah with profanity and they wouldn't necessarily say why especially when you were looking at content that was being published on live journal or zanga where you had to rely on the blurb at the beginning of the post to kind of give you an idea of what you were going to be reading 
And this is where it kind of brings me back to one of the things that I had mentioned in an earlier episode of when you have non-queer creators creating fetishized queer content. Um, And without a tagging system, what you would see were ratings or explanations of a rating of a fic that would insinuate that it was going to be really graphic or that there was going to be explicit sexual content or something, when in reality, it's just the same sex relationship having any form of intimacy. Or on the flip side, having a heavily fetishized, heavily explicit fic that is not properly labeled, um, has some really toxic tropes with heteronormativity and the idea of like the girl in the relationship or the guy in the relationship. Um, where again, if the reader isn't aware of this and then they start like reading this material, they may potentially be really offended, um, really upset or really triggered by this type of content. And so the limitations came from having the G, PG, PG-13, whatever. And you just kind of had to hope that you weren't about to walk into a minefield. The other issue was that on fanfiction.net specifically, there wasn't really any type of accountability. So there was no way to actually accurately track um, or hold accountable authors or creators that were not accurately rating their work. And so that was part of why you would see a discrepancy of queer media versus this het media being rated higher than the other um, and other things like that. And, and so what, oh, sorry, go for it. Oh, I'll say the other part of this is, is the timing issue uh, mm-hmm. and separate from um, uh, 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 cis, uh, you know, being, being a, a, a gay or, or het is uh, the fact that 1998 was when the uh, Children's Online Privacy Protection Act uh, what became law in the United States, and um, it had uh, a fairly chilling effect on on a lot of the archives uh, because they were saying, you know, in the event uh, parents are letting their 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 little ones go run around on the internet and do whatever they want and get into things, it's all your fault, and. Uh, mm-hmm. So there was a certain amount of uh, uh, of, uh, fear of absolute litigation. fear, fear of litigation. Yeah. We, we this this country loves loves themselves a lawsuit, and um, yeah, and people are terrified really of that. Really important to know this too, because we're actually going to come back to the fact that they didn't have any type of legal teams or any type of legal protection. So what they would do was they would just like raise it, um, and not deal with it because they didn't have any of the legal backing to do anything else. Uh, it doesn't make it right, but that is part of what we saw. So um, what you would start to see was people moving over to places like Zanga or Tumblr or um, LiveJournal. And this specifically happened in anime um, fandoms initially is where I first saw it. And I believe it's where it first started. There's no actual official of like where it was very first seen, but we started to see a new type of rating called the citrus scale. And the citrus scale was specifically designated for any type of romance, intimacy, or erotica in any type of material. And so the citrus scale went citrus, orange, lime, lemon, and grapefruit. And so citrus meant that there was just like romantic themes. Um, 
just general shipping. Why was orange meant real hmm? quick? Why was citrus the the acid used uh, to to denote romance? Hentai Great porn. question. It's from a yeah, it's from an anime that was called Cream Lemon, which was a hentai. Yeah. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> and so lemon, we'll get to, but so citrus was like general. Um, orange was like G rating, like hand holding, kissing, whatever. Lime is more like clearly sexual content, but without explicit descriptions. Lemon, you have explicit descriptions where it's like you know what's happening. And then grapefruit was one that you didn't usually see, but grapefruit meant that there was going to be some kinky stuff, some stuff that was not of the norm, quote unquote, because um, we don't kink shame in this house. Um, but that would be where you would start to see like BDSM, things like that. Um, and so this scale was utilized on live journals, Zanga, fanfiction.net, and different message boards and places that people would publish fix. Um, later it came downside. back into use. Yeah. Or two downsides. Uh, downsides I'll are, go for it. Uh, that just should be pointed out on many of these uh, platforms, the uh, scale is not uh, demarked or notified. Yeah. So it relies on you being part of the cool kids group. Yes, please mm -hmm. note the old bald guy here is going, is mentioning this because I, of course, come across this. And I'm like, what in the you're you're telling me you're writing the fanfic about citrus okay i yeah. uh, i don't i don't understand what you kids are up to uh absolutely was what came out of my mouth and mm -hmm. uh um so that was the first one second one was you may have noticed that this was a hundred percent about um sex and yeah. this kind of gets to the crux of the matter of the whole mm -hmm. thing is the America, you know, you look at, the, at at what's on TV in America. You can absolutely shoot somebody in the back of the head uh, mm -hmm. uh, 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 in in a TV show, and that's fine. But um, if you suggest that there is oral sex that would have occurred off screen, boom, can't do that. Um, mm -hmm. And there are a whole slew of other rules. I'm going to bring two particular ones to to bear, but uh, uh, it's nuts. And we're far, 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 far more concerned about. Uh, sex than we are about violence mm -hmm. or profanity or intolerance or language. Yeah. And um, if I may ask about mm. that, uh, do you think mm -hmm. that that's a holdover from the MPAA and the CCR? I mean, yeah, CCR, no, CCA, not Crazy CCA. Clearwater Revival. Couldn't yeah, give a shit less. But the uh, <laughs> Comic Book Code Authority, because both of those yeah. were like, here's the acceptable violence, but don't you mm -hmm. dare show them in the same bed. Um, well, yeah, and if you if you look at it, right, what is being purged from these archive sites? What is being targeted by the legislation? It's any type of sex media. And so our first tags, per se, our first rating systems are going to be code words that are unique to the community that they're used in that allow them to circumvent these systems, which is why they were so wildly ineffective because they are moderately effective within that niche community. But again, it's still very blanket. You still don't really know what you're walking into. You just have an idea of kind of sort of maybe what you might run into. And again, and... you've also got that 
personal feeling of like a person writing it and going, well, I feel like this is a line where another person may feel like it's a higher level of intimacy or a higher level of sexual content. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, it does. It does strike me that, that it being strictly self-reported can, mm-hmm. can lead to some issues. Uh, not least of which is what, what you mentioned earlier about accountability. Mm-hmm. Um, like if somebody's just like, no, you know what? I'm, I'm going to write what the fuck I'm going to write. And I don't want to, I don't want to worry about, you know, who it's going to piss off and like, you know, deal yeah. with it um is is still an issue there and um and i had another thought and i thought it was really profound and i got into what i just said and it went away um shit i hate when that happens well let me while you're thinking on that let me ask yeah. this uh you had mentioned uh sean a second ago and i just want to make sure i understand um the 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 way that they took on different sex acts um, now you mentioned oral sex. Um, <clears throat> there are many different couplings of people that can result in oral sex. Uh, was the citrus rating different for heteronormative oral sex compared to uh, homosexual uh, no. oral sex? No. Okay. It actually okay. wasn't. And um, that's a good sign. That, well, yeah. at least yeah. then it's focused on the act it's standard yeah yeah and and the other thing i i remembered what the other thing was so any kind of a system that uses code words like this has the effect of that is because sean used the also used the phrase you know the cool kids that winds up turning into a shibboleth very good reference there uh well well yeah you know can you explain um, to everybody here who is neither <laughs> a, a Jewish nor Catholic what a shibboleth is? Oh, I could do that. That's or, the or stick a, that, West that you fan. that you hit people with uh, in Ireland. It's a shibboleth. No, no, that's a shillelagh. No, no, I, shillelagh have... is is one of the elder gods from Cthulhu. <laughs> that's Shagoth. Yeah. No, uh, and, and Shagoth is Shagoth that's. Is... That's the speed at which the thing goes on a camera to determine the exposure. So anyway, uh, um, for those of you who aren't familiar with the term, uh, there's there's a passage from the Bible uh, in in which uh, there's there's internecine warfare between various of the of the twelve tribes of Israel, and um, the code word that that one of the groups uses the the password to to be allowed past a checkpoint is the word shibboleth because the dialectical differences between the tribes meant that there were certain groups who could not pronounce shibboleth because it would come out sounding as sibboleth um and so if you if you ask them to say the word and they pronounced it wrong they were the enemy and so shibboleth is any kind of in-group code or or in-group reference uh, that is a that is a clue to hey you know who's really part of the inner circle and and who's one of those filthy plebs uh, from outside. Except in the case of this rating scale, it wasn't so much of like excluding people, but it was trying to come up with a way to communicate that would circumvent these systems that were attempting censorship. 
Yeah, no, I, 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 yeah. I certainly, I certainly don't mean to insinuate that there was an attempt to exclude mm-hmm. anyone, but if you were not up on the lingo, it, it would effectively be, yeah, it, it, it could potentially have that effect right. of like, well, okay, wait, what, huh? You know, I, um, I would describe it as the exact same thing as the issues running with the MPAA type, you know, RPG. Uh, X whatever scale in that they are well-meaning intentions to do a particular task that then proceed to run at full speed like Wiley Coyote into the wall uh, of reality and run into a, a, a one problem or another. And yeah, I think uh, Damien, you said repeatedly on the show, um, progress is a series of was it problematic steps forward. Oh, yeah, I have cribbed that completely from Dr. Gabriel Cruz out in North Carolina. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah. it, it makes it no less true. In fact, it might give it more credence, given that he has more letters after his name. Um, Are we back to credence Clearwater Revival again? Always, always. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I try to center that in the field. So. Okay. Well, I only see that field when I'm looking out my back door. Fair. Fair, but that actually would get you a different citrus rating looking out your back door. That's very true. Because yes, that's that, where the shog off like, comes be... from. That would be lemon. Yeah. There's tambourines uh, and elephants and if you, playing if, in a band. You, yeah. Um I'm I'm gonna say if it involves a shog off, I'd I'd call grapefruit on that. Just like Oh yeah, yeah. That's fair. That's fair. See, but know. therein therein is the flaw of the system, is it not? Because again, it is subject to interpretation. Mm, that's which a good brings point. me too. Mm. Some of the cool tagging systems that we started to see and what kind so, of systems i'm sorry um, tagging systems tagging. so tagging okay, systems started to develop mm-hmm. um in which a user on various platforms could tag or label their content with certain phrases or words that would be searchable and then would link their content to other content that is similar. And one of the places that we saw this and still exists is on Tumblr. Um, Tumblr started having a tagging system in which you could put specific tags on your posts. Um, I think you're limited to 140 characters, much like Twitter at this point, um, where either the tags are helpful um, and it will tell you like what the fandom is and what the content is, whether or not the person created the art, things like that. Or it can be like a magical journey of consciousness streaming, um, which is part of the flaw in Tumblr, uh, is that the tags can be any tags that you want. Um, they have multiple times um, done things to attempt to refer the tagging system actually just uh, last year because in 2019 they did the uh, great Tumblr porn purge in which um, anyone who produced any NSFW which is not safe for work content um, any type of erotica photography any type of art writing anything that was considered to be sexually explicit what they did was they shut it all down um posts were deleted or hidden from view accounts were deleted um and the main thing that actually caused this purge was because there was this idea that people were using the platform for sex work 
um, posting pictures, et cetera, basically before OnlyFans was like a thing. Um, and so it was like a non-paid way. They didn't have to pay to utilize this platform in order to engage in sex work online. Um, and actually the main lens was save the children because definitely there's a bunch of children on Tumblr doing sex work. That makes perfect sense. Um, the main thing yeah. was that Tumblr doesn't have the legal team to do anything if they are accused of this. Right. Um, and porn bots are still on there. Uh, we had a and they're fandom themed now which is Mm -hmm. kind of hilarious actually um but they did this giant form purge where a lot of artists actually left i will say Mm -hmm. um because i remember when that happened because i have a lot of friends who do uh fan Mm -hmm. fiction and costuming and stuff like that and pretty soon all Mm -hmm. of their erotic stuff was just you know wholesale just gone so instead of using mm-hmm. you know the old phrase of use a broadsword we should use a scalpel they napalmed the village when they should have used they did and, um, and this was only the most recent version right uh, but uh, what we... i was going to say was that uh one of their justifications which it does hold some water is that anybody could find porn accidentally or on purpose if they were looking for it and since you don't have to be 18 all you got to do, all you had to do was type in words like deep throat and you would get to that's very true. That's very, very true. Um, but that was the thing that they were saying. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, OK, it's it's one of those you can use the truth to hide a bunch of bullshit, which is what yeah. they did. And like you said, they did not have the legal team. So there's like, fuck it. We don't want to lose everything. So here's what we're doing. And and yeah, they yeah. napalmed the village. And it was a huge thing because a lot of artists who had a huge body of work, um, it was just gone and they didn't have it like really anywhere else. And so you'll still see artists, but like randomly will come back because there was a moment, I want to say five months ago, six months ago, um, where there was a misleading communication that was sent out where they were basically saying that they were going to allow it under certain things with their tagging system where you could tag it NSFW or you could tag it mature. Um, And a whole bunch of people were making just stunningly tasteless jokes. My personal favorite was uh, the meme was cycling around of the Urukai saying meats back on the menu, boys. It's great. And then abruptly there was like which is going to be another point i come back to but because there's so many people that are in fandom people who are also lawyers were like reading through the terms and conditions whatever and going ah no hold on don't don't do it don't 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 post the thing um (laughs) and they're not as strict anymore i will say because i have made it my personal game to play will tumblr ban this or not Mm. um and if you do things, because like I had drawn some, I don't remember what was it. What was important is that it was a non-lady nipple, and they hit it. It got hidden, and it was said to be explicit content. And I, they have people that check it, and I think I literally challenged it with, "That's not a lady titty. <laughs> like that. That's not lady nipples. You're stupid." And they put it back. <laughs> I, I would so like to point still out like sexist non uh, non lady nipple is a good name for a band by the way right yes so a jug band obviously oh, oh. Nice. so it would be a good one 
Uh, so before we get to the 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 twenty nineteen stuff, oh no, um, I'm drawing that. God damn it, I'm drawing. Fuck, I'm gonna draw it. Make them so, all fawn characters too. Like they're all they're all just like hillbilly goats. I'm gonna like, draw the stupid. Yeah, hillbilly. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. All right. There you go. So anyway, Sean, you were oh, about oh. to say before the twenty nineteen. Yes, the the before the twenty nineteen uh, uh, bit from Tumblr. Uh, we mentioned there was the 2002 bit where fanfiction.net uh, uh, did a, a purge of their archive by notifying people in advance and communicating and whatnot. Uh, then you get to 2012. And oh, yeah. all, this one is when the uh, the admins acted selectively. They targeted particular uh, stories for being, quote, too mature. The common theme with their selection was now it really was full on LGBTQ AI. I mean, it was like uh, mm -hmm. Bo Bob has gone bad. crazy with the uh, with, with the edit hammer, and they purged sixty two thousand stories from the archive without any notification to anybody, without any communication, just delete them. They yep. couldn't save it. They couldn't do anything. It's just gone. Yeah, it, it, with and your your um, your 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 recourse is to maybe go to the ocean and yell at it because that's the only thing you can do. There's no recourse, no response, no uh, debate, just go. And, it's automated, uh, so there's no one to talk to. It's almost like uh, they really didn't want people to play with them anymore. And everyone actually then did, as a matter of fact, tend to pick up most of their toys and walk away. Uh, and now is probably a good time to mention that... After the uh, debacle that was uh, the first pass through by by their um, uh, by their admins algorithm, yo, no, these were actual moderators. Oh, okay. These are actual. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know, right? Well, that's part of it. Was of course human decisions being really bad. Uh, the organization for transformative works was created in two thousand seven. Um, this is the point which uh, when they OTW, OTW creates what is known as an archive of our own. Uh, sometimes yeah. you'll see it abbreviated as AO3. Most, yeah. They also created Fanlore mm -hmm. and Open Doors at the same time. And Fanlore is uh, kind of what we're talking about now would be Fanlore, be the the uh, history of all of the backstory behind fan interactions and these these things are recorded there and open doors provides legal advocacy for fan creators of one type or another and, and this and, is what's really cool about them is that they were able to do the legal advocacy and everything because what you had were people in fandom who realized that there's other people in fandom and that people in fandom are people who have day jobs who have fields of expertise who are like leaders in their fields who have skills that they can share in order to preserve fan content and canon lore and fan lore and want to put their energy into it so that the energy that they put into their creations isn't just wiped off the face of the planet whenever they feel like it. And so they, that is where they were able to tap into things like lawyers who are writing fan fiction or who are reading fan fiction and 
engineers and software engineers and programmers who are writing fan fiction and reading fan fiction. And they are literally creating an archive that not only has an incredibly powerful legal team, an incredibly knowledgeable legal team, a really good platform that is run by people who interact with it. It's not automated. Um, people who have been in fandom and have seen the failings of rating systems, tagging systems, things that make it weak to um, legislation or public judgment um, and like witch hunts and things like that. And they are combining all of these forces into a nonprofit that can raise funds and protect the creative materials that people create as a collective. The tagging system should just be pointed out is ludicrously, wonderfully, amazingly powerful and easy to use. And it's actually documented. It, it really and is. You can hold people accountable. You can put, if somebody doesn't tag a fic appropriately or doesn't tag material as triggering, you can notify and put a marker so that that person will have to change it. They won't necessarily have it be wiped off the face of the map, but there's accountability. You can't just sneak it in. You have to accurately tag your work. It sounds like a more honest and accountable MPAA because that's kind of what they do in the MPAA is they'll give you a note like change, change this scene. And then people go back and they edit and stuff like that. But that's about where the accountability ends, which is why famously South Park, you know, had had the Satan dick pics uh, section because um, they were like putting stuff in there for them to be like objecting to. Um, and then they did. Yeah. So he, you know, I, I want to say the story goes, he changed the penis to be a different kind of penis. And that was it. And it counted. But you're talking about actual group accountability. Um, it's it's interesting to me here, because what we're talking about is you're, you're essentially talking about an author's collective. And and it's a and it's a nonprofit one because uh, is anybody making any money off of this? No, all of their right. money goes to funding. And actually, I just share this because they are currently in the donation phase, and this is just how popular and how much of an impact that they have. Like just mm -hmm. to give you a numerical thing, every year they do a fundraiser. Mm -hmm. Um, if you donate $10, you get added to their board, whatever. Sure. Um, they ask for $50,000 every year. They try to raise $50,000 in order to be able to have the funds that they need to run the website effectively. Mm -hmm. As of today, which I think we're on day two, $230,326.19. That is how much money. And that's not the end. I guarantee you it's going to be insanely right. higher at the end. Absolutely. People value this. And I mean, they even do archive work where they do rescue projects. Mm -hmm. So when the Yahoo groups were closing, where people would do role play, uh, right. fic writing and things like that, they were working to archive it. They tried to archive these materials. Mm -hmm. They've done GeoCities web pages. They've done other types of fan works sure. where they are actively trying to archive all of this information but 
Fictionality is slowly moving through their Open Doors project uh, starting in 2018. Mm -hmm. So so I just want to come back to this because, uh, again, talked with Teresa Halverson on our show um, a while back, and she talked about the 55 books. And it's essentially, if you're going to be an author of fantasy slash sci-fi, you have to have 55 books to your name before you can start making a living off of your own writing. Um, and that is, you know, hoping that the uh, publishing house picks you up and continues to let you do all that kind of stuff. And, and you know, theoretically, you're making money doing that. And it's just you doing that. And you're kind of at their whim. This is, like I said, more of a author's collective. It's for the yeah. love of the art more than it is for the paycheck, obviously. Um, and they're raising money. In, in a way that doesn't go to one person's pocket and then they dribble a few uh, coins down to the actual creators. Um, and is, is that why it's considered less than or not legitimate? It can't just be a quality issue because there's, there's so much volume out there that the quality is going to be matching that which has been it's, actually published. It's literally just because there is a... I'm trying to think of the word for it. It's like I, the word is escaping me right now. But it, it, it's seen as less than because it's not considered to be real writing or real art. And it doesn't right. matter because it is. It's just basically like it's like the idea where it's it's bleeding unless the it's perfectly original. Value. It's that, but also the idea of like unless it's original, it's worthless. But then nothing that, is truly original. And you can, yeah. Yeah. can that also brings me back to the previous point I made the last episode where I said people get really offended when you mention that Dante's Inferno is fan fiction. And just, you can label it as a fan yeah. fiction because in their mind it devalues it, even right. though in reality you're just pointing out it's not unique. Yeah. It's not brand new. It's a new interpretation of material that already exists. And the same way that, you know, you could argue that any kind of religious text, um, I'm going to say this, trying not to be offensive in any kind of way. But if you look at religious text as a book form, you can find similarities in all the religious texts. Well, yeah, yeah. there's a Mediterranean so, myth cycle. Right. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's a thing where they're, they're not, they're not original. They're yeah. all kind of, they've all got aspects of each other within them. And mm -hmm. so yeah. it's, it's that kind of a thing. And so to tell somebody that their art or their, you know, creation is worth less because it's inspired by something else, it literally just exists to attempt to delegitimize and cut down the person who has done the thing yeah. by a person who can't do the thing or doesn't want to do the thing and part yeah. of it doesn't I, want to be judged for doing the thing they don't want to experience what they are doing to someone else who has there, put their stuff out there and there is the other half of that one which i mean the the uh if you look at the long-standing history of uh art forgery mm -hmm. uh I mean, it's huge. It's, it's it's just ludicrous amounts of money. And everybody who has bought a forged painting immediately turns around and is screaming bloody murder. The painting did not change. 
between right. when you bought yeah. it and when you discovered yeah. somebody else. But you had you had a belief that a person with a name that you knew had been the one with the brush, not somebody who was competent and skilled and created this thing that you liked, but the person with that name. And that provided yeah. a value, a, a, an intrinsic value separate from the art itself. And I feel yeah. like that is a portion of this in that uh, if it is in a book form on a shelf somewhere and a company has put their name on it and printed it out, that has more value than, you know, if, if a company didn't put their name on it. And it brings yeah. me to actually like another thing that we've been seeing in fandom spaces most more recently in the last like two, three years, I want to say, there's been a huge thing on book binding where people who learn how to bind books will take their favorite fanfics with art from their favorite artists and they will literally bind physical books of these fics. I mean, and they're beautiful. Mm-hmm. And they will at times sell them just for the cost of the material. Um, they will send them to the authors or the artists, um, which then brings the, well, then how is that now? Because now you're saying, well, oh, you know, if somebody's like, well, this one's printed. So this printed and bound. It looks just like a published about, book now. Yeah. About 15 years ago, I got a, a a uh, fan letter from an uh, an uh, a reader who was in a Scandinavian country, and the taxes for importation of English language novels were um, appallingly large, and so the local um, uh, uh, libraries would actually download look uh, look for a good English language uh, fanfic they could download and bind and 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 have on the shelf, and so. Um, She'd uh, uh, read it by checking it out at the public library in a Scandinavian country, which is very cool. So I guess, I guess what it does is like, so yeah, you've got like this huge, I actually wouldn't even say it's the majority anymore. I feel like we're really seeing this incredible acceptance Mm -hmm. and unwillingness to hide um participation in fandom and 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 interacting and creating fan materials but even though you'll always have these people who will attempt to delegitimize it they will never be louder or more impactful than the people who reach out to you to tell you how much they liked what you made like yeah you just, you know, and, and so I feel like even when they're like, and I, and I think that that's the thing is that we, because we have more people more willing to engage in these fandom spaces um, and reach out to the creators and they're starting to recognize like what goes into creating these fan works and things like that, that they're having a harder time delegitimizing it. And they're having a harder time delegitimizing it when you're having a up surge of ip owners engaging with people who create things based off of their ip and encouraging it because i feel like it was easier back in like i think it was like 2001 when ann rice did her thing 
Mm-hmm. And to give a little bit of history on this, another way that it was able to delegitimize it was because you had people who held the intellectual property actively going against people who were creating these fan works, which is also part of the reason why Archive of Our Own has such a strong legal team mm-hmm. and has so much to it to keep it running the way that it does. Um, part of it being protective of fan works is being reactive to what they've learned through Disney um, cease and desist and things. Uh, I think Sony did one. And then you've got uh, Anne Rice. Anne Rice, who is basically, and I'm going to say this is somebody who I love, the Vampire Chronicles. I, I love them. I love them. They were one of my first fandoms. I love them. Um, but for somebody who wrote an incredibly explicit BDSM fan fiction AU of fucking Sleeping Beauty, she had a lot to say negatively about fan work. Um, and her and her legal team were the nightmare of fan creators and fan fiction writers from like 2001 to 2003 I want to say she would do cease and desist she would target specific individuals I mean people were terrified of her because of what she would do to people who loved her characters and wanted to create things she is the reason that if you look at older fic specifically fic that is posted on fanfiction.net or live journal or Zynga, um, I don't think you'd see it on Wattpad. I think Wattpad might be too new, but you would literally see a blurb from the creator that said, these characters do not belong to me. I am not profiting off of it. It was like a thing that people would post. So yeah, that it was boilerplate. They couldn't be sued. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was like a template that everybody did. And I mean, yeah. it was, it's almost nostalgic at this point. Like I yeah, drew- it was- like something from like high school that I loved. I drew a fake fan fiction or not fake fan fiction. I drew a fake um, fan art. And I was like, I have an urge to put these characters you know, belong to, but I don't have to. Um, yeah. But I, I want to because like you had to do that. Yeah. And her legacy, the scar she left on fan creating spaces was so intense that the day she died, one of the other cool things about archive of our own is you can backdate um, things to when you actually made them. There were fic writers who had been sitting on fan fiction that they had written about Armand and Louis and Lestat and Marius and all of them. And they backdated it to the day of the file, the day she died and they posted it. There was a huge amount of content from the vampire chronicles that got posted the day Anne Rice died. That is how much of an impact of a, I mean, it was a negative impact, but she had that much of an impact on yeah. fan space and fan creation. So, and that is part of, again, why the legal team for AO3 is so good and exists to the capacity that it does. So a couple of things occur to me here. Mm-hmm. The, the devaluation of, of fan works I think uh, to to get pointy headed and, and put the historian hat on again hat on. Um, what we what we see here is an outgrowth of industrialism, 
and the it's it's not just the idea that well you know this has to be original but at the same time there's the idea of ownership of intellectual property which which was not a concept mm-hmm. uh prior to uh uh, I, I was going to say Adam Smith a moment ago, but even even in the wealth of nations, the idea of intellectual property was wasn't a thing. That that doesn't become an issue until we have mass produced mass media being driven by corporate interests, and yeah. there is this need by those by those publishing houses to delegitimize anything that isn't that they are not that they that they don't that they're not making a buck off of yeah and so and so i think we 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 kind of have to point it at you know capitalism as as part of the issue here it it ties in with the fact that just culturally there is this urge uh or not urge but there's 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 this tendency to think that well, okay, uh, you know, you you want to draw in your spare time. You want you enjoy singing, playing a musical instrument, whatever. You know, are you going to make any money doing that? Yeah, well, if you're not, if, if you you're are. not, yeah, if if you're if you're not going to make any money doing it, why bother? Mm-hmm. Like, right. You know, and and it gets and it gets devalued and pushed aside. You know, like mm-hmm. never mind the fact that as high level primates, we need to to play in various ways you know in order in order to to stay sane mm-hmm. um you know and and then what what also strikes me talking about the shift from usenet to um fanfiction.net to uh archive of our own and what 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 i see happening is a shift from anarchism into syndicalism. Mm-hmm. You know, this, this is, this is a, and, and I think there's a really strong generational thing going on because at the same time that I'm, that I'm talking about the devaluation of these things being rooted in the late stage capital or any capitalism. But right now we're talking about late stage capitalism Right. Um, the changes that we're talking about are being made by people who are, let's say, late Gen Xers or millennials. Yeah. Who you've are? Got... Oh no, keep going. Who are who are looking at these ideas of what it means? You know, what what is the root of the value of work? Right. right. And are saying, right. um, no, fuck you. Whether it's exactly. going to make me a buck or not doesn't matter. I love this thing. I want to keep yes. doing this thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the fact that I'm a grown up means I get to define what that means to to yes. borrow a phrase from XKCD. And <laughs> you know, and and what I what I want to do is, you know, I want to I want to write a furry AU of insert fandom. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's my thing. I want to, I want to come up with a coffee shop universe for oh, yeah. the X-Files. Like, right. yeah, you know, and you've and... also got this neat shift where people who are now the intellectual property holders, they got their start in fandom. Um, yeah. For example, my biggest, my biggest fandom currently um, 
and has been for the past two and a half years um, is the Simon Snow Phantom, which is a trilogy that was written by Rainbow Rowell um, as essentially she wrote the books that she wrote a book called Fangirl, which is basically a love letter to fan fiction. Um, and this girl goes to college and she writes fan fiction for this fake story called Simon Snow. And she's writing fan fiction and it's her navigating as someone who's a fangirl um, when it's like not a popular thing to do. And in reading it, you can really see like Rainbow wrote, she has absolutely written and read copious amounts of fan fiction. And it's this, I mean, it is, it's this beautiful love letter to fan fiction. And then this book became so popular that she wound up actually writing this series. In the book, it's supposedly written by Gemma T. Leslie, who's not an actual author. Um, and so Rainbow Bower ends up writing a trilogy of these characters that is in the fangirl book. And so it's actually a novel. Um, but That's what just she does, as fuck, oh my man. God, so cool. But what she does is she engages with, um the people that like, create things off of her characters and what you have is an author on social media who is expressing her love for the fact that people love her characters as much as she does and so we can ask questions and she will answer we can make jokes about changing things in the canon and if sometimes somebody has like a really good idea she'll be like fuck it yeah that that's canon now that that's better um she engages with artists the most because she can like look at our stuff without um having the weird legal crossover she can't read fan fiction but she's aware of people who write a lot of fan fiction and she's aware of the people who did who do a lot of art and like what's cool is that she will do things to legitimize basically the creations of the people that are involved she will repost our art she will you know make comments about our art or or add where it fits in in the canon or something and um it, it creates like more of a community and there's a lot of authors actually now um that got their start in fan fiction that still engage in fan spaces and you may not necessarily know what fan fiction or what fandom they were in Sometimes they're just like on Tumblr, like, fuck it. Yeah, here's my AO3 handle. Um, it just really depends on the author. But having that as well further legitimizes the art because like, for example, with the third book that came out um, July of 2020, 2021, I don't remember. Um, the third book in the trilogy came out and everybody was like really excited about it. She wound up working with artists. She reached out to artists who are fan artists and had them do work um, for promotional things for this book. She has fan artists do the um, end pages of the books, um, like artists that I've seen on Tumblr. Um, I mean, I, I'm, gonna I'm gonna throw huh? the opposite direction out there. because yeah. I think it's also interesting to see the people who are the opposite of inclusive in, in many different ways. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and how they're engaged. Uh, it gives me an opportunity to quote um, a paper by Jennifer Dugan, um, mm -hmm. who wrote, Transformative Readings, Harry Potter Fan Fiction, Trans Queer Reader Response, and J.K. Rowling. 
in 2021. Mm-hmm. It's awesome, by the way. I mean, just I flat know. out. Did she write other books? I I've only read this. I she may be a incredibly keep going i'm looking this up because i think she might have written a book i really like keep going i would be unsure i'd be unsurprised because everything i've read i've never read this and i was like oh i want to read everything she writes uh but she points out the textual inclusivity of rowling's harry potter works and that her current that uh rowling's current real world exclusionary politics exist and one of the ways that readers have squared that circle is to excise the author and create transformational works she points out, this Dugan pointing out, that the texts are explicitly about acceptance, but the implicit ideology, the author's une- unexamined assumptions in, in her own head, are all white, heteronormative, gendered, and appearance-biased. She points out the contentious nature of the children's literature, that different groups define very differently what's considered acceptable, and Rowling does a lot of taboo topics for children's literature. Vulgarity, bestiality, alcoholism, excrementality, homosexuality, but only by slightly occluding them from the direct reference and just inferring from context that they're there. Uh, this type of quote-unquote sensitive reading bears a striking resemblance to reading a queer-coded work. My favorite two lines from Jennifer Dugan. One, frankly, it would be difficult to argue that the Harry Potter texts do not contain queer elements, as a surface reading of the first novel quite literally documents Harry being freed from a life in a closet and introduced to a non-normative magical subculture by a pink umbrella-wielding half-giant. I yeah, okay. That's that. yeah. Yeah. Followed by second favorite line. It is inevitably difficult for a fan who has read and seen hundreds of different depictions of Draco, Harry, Ginny, or Blaze Zabini, and accepted all of them as valid, to completely dismiss new emancipatory revisions. In other words, once you've been exposed to fanfic and seen that there are a billion different ways this could go, you're like, yeah. I believe that. That seems totally legit. And that's a reasonable response in the universe. It's totally okay if Harry Potter is gay. It's totally okay if a character is transgendered. That's I've seen that. Well, you know, even even if we ignore the the really obvious uh symbolism that that was just mentioned of of Harry literally coming out of a closet, Kind of hard to though. I I don't understand how anybody can read Prisoner of Azkaban and not see uh, lycanthropy as a a stand-in allegory for homosexuality as a as a targeted category. Like I don't I I just. That's why I thought casting David Tooley's was a really good move toward that because he is as gender fluid an actor in in his presentation of his characters as I've ever seen from Dragonheart through that. Yes, yeah. you know, yeah, no, it was it, even though yeah. he might not mean to. Uh, yeah. <laughs> very clearly. Well, uh, we've no, he actually we figured that out he... that authorial intent is dead. Like yeah. you know, although David Tooley's did say that he actually did play. Remus Lupin as as gay. That was actually oh, yeah. he did. He was that was absolutely under the impression. And yeah. I just, I'm telling you, I know and I wrecked the... it last time. All the young dudes mm-hmm. makes all of the things that Rowling fucked up make sense in a really loving and beautiful way. Sure. 
I just like anything that involves just uh, saying that was a you had a couple of wonderful ideas. Now please yeah. shut up and go away, and I'll go over here and, and see and, and listen to people I really like hearing from. Well, it's it's interesting um, to me to bounce back to this idea of if it's not commodified, it's not valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just thinking of you know the, the idea you you brought this up a, a bit ago. Um, if it's not original, somehow it lacks value. And I'm thinking about like Michael Stackpole, uh, Timothy Zahn, Christy Golden, uh, what, what um, uh, Aaron Alston, uh, Troy Denning. All of these are authors who have found great success playing in other people's sandboxes. Yeah. Timothy mm-hmm. Zahn wrote Thrawn. Thrawn has shown up now in canon, not just book canon before the Great Schism of 2016, but then book canon after the Great Schism of 2016, because they're like, we like this character a lot, we're going to bring him back, but then also in cartoon canon. Um, all, all of these authors, Christy Golden famously said, I tend to make more money and get more people reading my stuff when I'm writing for someone else's in, in someone else's intellectual property. She's real big in the Warcraft community. She's real big in the Star Wars community. Um, so clearly them writing not their own IP isn't the thing that makes them more legitimate than somebody else doing the same thing. Even if you take a look at Star Wars Insider magazine, they would have like four or five page stories. All of those things were still considered more legitimate than fanfic. And it comes back down to the commodification. Who is this money in the pocket of? And if you don't do that, then somehow you're not a real artist, which is funny because they talk about people doing things for the love of the art. And it brings Mm -hmm. me back actually to the forgery thing, um, because a forger is an artist. Like if you if you listen to interviews with people who forge currency. They speak of it as it's an art. They talk about the science of doing it as an art. And it is an art. It just happens to be one that destabilizes currencies. But but if you (laughs) look at how real currency is. Yeah. Yeah, And they're they're intense nerds. Right. That's like. Yeah. yeah. Hyper-focused. You know. know, Yeah. Carving those I think it just really comes down to where you place your value. Yeah. And I think we're starting to see a shift of people who place the value away from the material and away from the money because we have been living through recession after recession historical event after historical event and instead we're seeing value in love and community and so we're seeing more of a legitimization of these fan works because Mm -hmm. instead of them being seen as you not being able to make your own stuff which you're still making your own stuff. You're just right. using other people's toys to do it. But it's being seen as a love letter. It's being seen as a offering to a community to share something that you have created within a community. And I think that that is part of what is legitimizing it more and more yeah. as we move forward. Because again, like I said, we've got multiple authors posting their AO3 handles, their author mm-hmm. handles from fan fiction that they've written or authors admitting their authors in fandom spaces or right. people engaging and reaching out to fan creators. Like 
I know that there were people that like have done things for Marvel that have been brought on to Marvel projects because right. of their cosplays and things like that. Miles because... Morales starts as yeah. a fanfic. Yes. Yeah. You know, it, a, well, a Donald but it's Glover. really cool yeah. because this love that causes this creation mm-hmm. Even if sometimes the love's a little fucking weird, like let's yeah. be real. Sometimes our love letters make you go, "You guys okay over there?" But regardless, right? There, there's value in that connection. There, there, there. You're starting to see this shift, and I think that that's really what is changing a lot of the way that people are interacting with fan media and are being more accepting of fan media. And John, see, you were going to say something. Indeed, I, 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 I wish that I thought that was the cause, but I don't. I, 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 I like that cause. That's a great cause. I, I wish I, I believed it. What I see is a different bit historically is uh, that there is a tend tendency today, <clears throat> because of of legalism, to disclaim ownership, to choose to create for the desire to create and not to make money. And historically, what has always happened with fanfic is the attempt to make money off of the back of somebody else. And mm-hmm. in, in many cases, obliterate the original art to, to, to start it with. So what I did not understand you know, when I first read it was that Bram Stoker's Dracula is fanfic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always heard, like, oh, yeah, it's... it's uh, you know, vampire story, blah, blah, blah. It's been in... No. Mm-mm. He wrote it in 1897. In 1872, Sheridan Lafanu wrote Carmilla. Yeah! Which is basically the Ur example, only it's lesbian vampire fan fiction. Well, and, and yeah. lesbian vampire fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what Bram Stoker did was, well, he... he didn't have a computer to just do control C, control V, but he uh, changed it to um, turn Carmilla into Dracula to make it heteronormative. Mm-hmm. But it apes, he copies the first person narration, he copies the mystery around the vampire. Lucy um, is the character he creates, and Laura is uh, uh, Sheridan's character, mm-hmm. who is described using the exact same phrases. Uh, the characters sleepwalk. They have elderly vampire experts that comes to investigate the vampire. They describe the illness. This in the exact same phrasing. Uh, I'm sorry, Dracula... I don't understand how this is fanfic. This sounds like plagiarism. Yeah, like, doesn't he's sound trying like to make money yeah. off of it. Well, yeah, and and succeeded. And, and yeah. well, but his fanfic was kind of the opposite of what any what a good fanfic author did was rather than saying, "Why is this? Why is this excluding me?" He said, mm-hmm. "I really wish this excluded some people." <laughs> And he he excised all sure. of the all all of the uh, all of the gay out of it, and uh, then proceeded to make a lot of money and then sue people. Um, he Steve Jobs did. He completely Steve Jobs did. Yeah. And please note, uh, his widow actually managed to get uh, Murnau to destroy every copy of Nosferatu when that was made at the turn of the century. It's only blind luck we still have a cop a couple of copies left of that uh, that film. That's how you can see it. Wonderful work. Not Dracula, but it was close enough that, that right. she, she sued the heck out of it. Uh, and that's just 
1880 and 1890s. Okay. Um, so we're seeing we're seeing then a a community that is growing beyond the desire for money and just a love of doing it. And you're saying that while that is so, there has forever been a, a group of people who are essentially plagiarizing and grifting um, who are kind of running parallel. Like they're, they're and, both doing the same thing, but for wildly different reasons. And, and the fear of those one. different. Yeah. And, and, and because it's the standard, I'm afraid you're going to do the thing I want to do. Um, yes. And you know that that signaling that happens. <laughs> yeah. What, what yeah. is it? Uh, projection. Yeah. The the the, the uh, uh, every accusation is an admission. Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. it's you know fascism one hundred and one. Um, I you know Tessa, what you were talking about a little bit earlier reminded me of the time that I met Diogenes. Um, and I only say that slightly tongue in cheek. I in my junior year in high school, I hung or the summer of my junior year in high school, I hung out with a lot of the homeless folks, the unhoused uh, living in Walnut Creek. They caught and killed a goose, uh, and we cooked it uh, that night on a uh, a shopping cart because you know it's basically a grate. Uh, and uh, one of the guys, I mean, I was talking to him. I was, I asked him one day, as my seventeen year old self, I said, "I gotta say, you don't sound like any of the other people under this bridge. Um, you you sound like you could fit into the square world perfectly fine." And he says to me, "I ran really, really hard, and they took it all away." So I ran even harder and they took it all away again. And now I don't run anywhere and they have nothing to take. And the results the same. And it just kind of reminds me of like, people are like, look, I've got a day job. <laughs> I, I don't need to use this to make money. Um, and so I'm doing it for the love of it. And it just kind of reminds me of Diogenes who I, whom I met and shared goose with. Um, and at the same time, I'm always very hard nosed about this pay your artists like and that's the downside is that like the the pricing is you know stagnating and, and getting lower for entry-level artists 55 I will bucks say, well, mm -hmm. i mean i will say though as someone who has been doing art in these fandom spaces and is now i mean i would say i'm pretty known by my handle at this point um sure. people in the fandom spaces value the work um but i've used my art for more like and and like i'll, I'll do this as an example and i'm not doing this as an example to be like oh i'm such a good person like whatever but i mean i think it's important for people to understand like i'm not profiting off of my work like mm -hmm. this was not meant for profit, but I will use my art for charity. Mm. So because I am more known within these fandom spaces and people like what I create, I will do things like say, like when Texas was doing some atrocity, one of the many atrocities to trans children, um, there was a organization in Texas that was trying to raise funds um, to help families. And I had people send proof uh that they donated um to one of the two charities and mm -hmm. did a raffle and they were able to get a commission of whatever and people i said i said at least ten dollars because people not only value the art but value the cause donations were fifty dollars or higher um, you're generating money just not pocketing it 
Exactly. Which is why it's invalid art. There you go. Exactly. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. I'm not an artist. Um, yeah. And then there was like someone in the fandom space who needed to have uh, their impacted wisdom teeth removed. And based on their financial situation, they weren't able to do it. And they were trying to fundraise um, through, I don't remember, some kind of service, whatever. And they were like charging $10. And I said, commission me, pay what you want. I'll draw this is my suggestion, whatever. And again, you could see people not only value the cause, but the art because the average that I was getting for these commissions that I was, you know, not legitimately doing because I wasn't getting paid um, was between 150 to $300, um, depending on what they were asking for. So I was really impressed to see people value the work and like, it, but again, it comes back to that sense of community too, because there will be people that'll say like, I really want to commission you for something, but I don't have a lot of money. Like I'm a student. I'll be like, what's your budget? Like, let's work within your budget, like whatever. Um, again, because there's like a love of doing it, but also the person isn't devaluing my art. They're not devaluing my skill. They're saying that they can't afford my skill. Um which I think says something about them understanding the time and the effort that goes yeah. into developing the skill and then producing the piece. Um, I think you're highlighting because, the difference between valuing and commodifying too. Yeah. Because yeah. again, mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. like, just like, I mean, and for this example of just like art being valued, right? Like fine art, whatever. I saw a painting today on Twitter that mm -hmm. blew my goddamn mind. And the skill of this artist is unbelievable. I mean, it looks like one of those like 15th, 16th century paintings of a table, still life of a kitchen table with all of the things on it. And I immediately was like, I need to buy a print of this from this artist. Like this is incredible. However, as somebody who's looking at it from the skill set, I know that there's a whole bunch of people that would literally look at the same piece and be like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. This person is a waste of space. Why they even do this? They literally did a still life, like Baroque style of a Crunchwrap Supreme and a Baja Blah. I mean, it looks so goddamn good. It's sure. like the style, it's, oh God. But like, that's the kind of thing, right? Like there's a camp aspect to it that would mm -hmm. cause people to delegitimize it, even though it is literally the same technique, right? Materials and everything. Well, people pooed a uh, Renoir or right. whatever, right? People like, pooed Andy Warhol all the time. Yeah, they yeah. fucking yeah. hated his shit. Right. So. So you know, I mean, it's just it's those are the kind of things. Is again, it comes back to what do you value? Where is the value placed? versus like and, and the intent behind the creation right like are you creating because you feel a need to generate income or are you creating just because you love a thing and you want to create it and then you want to share it with people like and that's not to say that people that want to do things to make an income are any less legitimate than people that do it for the love of it because they can't right like if, they if can both I, exist and both be valuable in their own ways if ed and i could have turned this into money that would have been great right yes. it would have been wonderful and yet we're still yeah. here right? <laughs> we are yeah so i, mean, I literally absolutely. draw stupid shit that i'm like i'm gonna laugh at this 
I don't know if anybody else is going to laugh at this. I mean, what? And then when people laugh at it with me, I'm like, hey, it's great. That was worth pretend... the however much time I did. Yeah, people pretend all the time not to like my puns, which is a weird way <laughs> to show appreciation, but whatever. Let me tell you, I was trying so hard to work one with Diogenes because I can Diogenes nuts. There you go. We'll see. That's why the next dog wing. I get is going to be a, a male whom I've castrated, and I'm going to name him Diogenes. There you go. Yeah. There you go. He's missing you go. Diogenes nuts. So, Sean, you were <clears throat> going to say something there. Oh, oh yes, just uh, that that the different motivations to uh, transform other kinds of art into something new go back a long ways, and some of them are really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think my favorite is that most of the things we do is uh, um, uh, uh, Wild Bill Shakespeare. Most of his work is is, is based on somebody else's. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so Othello is uh, based on Cynthia's A Moorish Captain from mm-hmm. uh, just 50, from 1565. Uh, mm-hmm. So the roughly 50 years earlier and thank heavens because the original one the it's this ludicrously racist tale about anti-miscegenation that's the moral right and and an absolutely perfect fanfic style he turns around and turns it into a story about racism and jealousy um uh the other is for me but he's not just looking at stories and saying yeah that was really crappily done here let me fix it for you uh, uh, as you like it was based on Thomas Lodge's Rosalind uh, Euphrey's uh, Golden Legacy. Right. Lodge wasn't the original author. That was based on Chaucer's Canterbury Tales, which included the tale of Gamelin in mm-hmm. 1400. And scholars don't think he actually wrote that. He just included an older uh, ballad from 1350. So as near as I can tell, the real Rosalind has been retired these last 249 years and is living like a king <laughs> in Patagonia. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, uh, much Ado About Nothing, uh, technically was ba- uh, based on Orlando Ferrero, so I have no commentary other than just to say I love Much Ado About Nothing, and I got a chance to work that in there. Mm-hmm. Um, Romeo and Juliet. Uh, like I said, Tristan and Isolde. Uh, but yes, and you know. it has been redone over and over again. West Side Story is a personal favorite, Shakespeare in Love, mm-hmm. and, but it's been restaged and rewritten to be Gang Wars, The Cold War, The Seven Days War. Apartheid. Sure. Sure. Uh, I mean, just so many times his stories were originally based on others, and they're right. others based on those again. And that chain always has something to say about what had come before, yeah, and what's coming after. Well, um, speaking of, I I do want to circle back around because Tessa had mentioned tagging, okay. and I I I wanted to make sure we covered that because we are heading toward the end of this episode. Um, and so I really wanted to make sure that we covered uh, tagging to to her satisfaction. Um, so uh, much as I, I want to get all the way back to the ancient shit and talk about pseudolus, um, we'll have to indulge ourselves uh, with that a little bit later because uh, tagging is something that we we mentioned and I, I, I wanted to give it a, a fair amount of weight to. So Tessa, tell us about tagging. Oh, yeah. Um, OK, so going back to AO3. And how it was um, this huge change in fandom spaces. 
So AO3 um, has what's called the tagging system. And much like Tumblr, you can tag just about anything, but there are also some really specific tags about the content um, that you are consuming um, on the platform. And, and they have a couple of um, specifics to it. Um, there's like a box at the top, which has like four squares, which will tell you if there are any major content warnings, what type of relationship you're seeing. Um, I'm actually gonna pull it up right now because I need to look at it. Even though I know a lot about it, I still need to stare at it. I should probably pull up a fix for this. Let me pull up one of mine. All right. That way I don't have to find anything weird, she says. Like she doesn't have anything weird on here. Um, so there's like a square at the box at the top that has like a various title tiles in it. So the first mm -hmm. part is gonna be a content rating, which is gonna give you a general rating. You have G, which is general audiences, T, which is teen and up audiences, M, which is mature, mm -hmm. E, explicit, only suitable for adults, or there is a blank square. The blank square says that the work was not given any rating. Usually, if the work is not given any rating, it is hella explicit. Nine times out of ten, you are walking into a minefield. It will be well tagged, but it's gonna be it's gonna be a adventure. Okay. So that's the first box. The second box will give you what's called the relationship pairings and orientations. This is like an at a glance. So we're not actually into the full tagging system yet. So this is just the first thing. The second box is going to give you either a Venus sign mm -hmm. for female-female relationships, so women love women, lesbian relationships. Um, you will see one that is a cishet where you have the Venus sign and then a Mars sign, and you've got female-male relationships, it's heterosexual pairing. Mm -hmm. You have a circle with a dot in it, which will be general, which means that there's no romantic or sexual relationships or any of the relationships that are there in background and are not the focus of the work. Okay. Then you've got the Mars signs. You've got male, male, so sure. gay, and then you have a multicolored tile, which means that there's more than one kind of relationship within the fic, okay. or it is a relationship of multiple partners, so like a polyamorous couple. Then you have another one that is called the content warning box. The first one and the one that is generally the most common is author chose not to warn for content. So there's no archive warning that really applies or there may be one, but they haven't specified that will be in the tags. Okay. If there's a red box, it means that there is one of the following warnings, graphic depictions of violence, major character death, which means that one of the main characters within the fandom dies, usually brutally, sometimes excessively tragically. You're, you're going to, you're going to be sad. Uh, so, so what you're saying is that, uh, what you're saying is that Firefly would have, would have had that square. Yes. Firefly would have had that square. Yeah. Joss Whedon just has that square. Just, 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 has, just that has, square. has that on his forehead. Sure. Yeah. Rape and non-consensual sex falls under this square. So it is underage relationships. Oh, so George R.R. R. Martin wears it too. Yeah. And any of these that get tagged have to have subject specific tags in the warning tags which we'll get to mm -hmm. if it's blank it means that there's no warnings that apply um but you want to check the tags 
which is like a little section underneath the box to see if there's anything that you're worried about or it's an external work and it's going to be from like a live journal posting or something else and you need to consult the work. There's like a paragraph. So you've got to check. So you're warned if you need to find warning somewhere else, which is kind of nice. Mm-hmm. The final part is that it'll tell you if it is finished or if it is in progress or it is unknown. So if, if you are somebody who likes to read a fic that is finished, that is a very helpful box for you. Yeah. <laughs> so this is the at a glance. Then you're going to get what's called the archive warning section. The archive warning section is the tag section. And what it is, is it's an at a glance of the content that is very succinct. Uh, usually like one to two words tells you who is in the story, what relationships are occurring between who in the story, as well as any important information that you may need to know that you may want to read because you're looking for it, or you may want to avoid because you don't want to read it. Um, And so what you have is this phenomenal way to easily see whether or not you're going to open this and start reading and there's kind of a running joke because you can tag a lot you're not limited in tags so you can be really clear um and so sometimes like you may miss a tag and then there's like running jokes about like whoop i didn't read that close enough and now i have been scarred for life um but anyway so the first thing that you'll see are a series of tags that say the characters that are in it and their relationship if there is a slash between the two character names that means that they are in a romantic and or sexual relationship. If there is an ampersand, the and sign, that means that they are just friends or interacting with each other. Um, if there's no slash or ampersand, that just means the character is there, they are mentioned, and they will be present in the story. So if you have somebody who you really hate, maybe don't open that one. Then you start to get the specific tags. And so you can do tags. Um, there are fandom specific tags um, that occur where I'm like looking for some of ours, I'm which is. Here, here's a couple of examples. Uh, common ones for mm-hmm. relationship tags you might see would be things like uh, enemies to lovers or yes. uh, slow burn or uh, established relationship. Love. Yes, you know. and then there's my personal favorite, which is idiots in love. Idiots in love, which implies that they all love each other, but they're too stupid to figure it out. Um, and you get to watch them try to figure it out. Um, we also have like there are like fandom specific ones where we have like Simon Snow doesn't have wings and a tail because if you don't want to write it or draw it, you just throw it out there. You're like, nope, it's not canon. Go away. Um, I'm sure that there's. A bunch for like supernatural, probably like Cassiel is a human or something, you know. Um, and so there'll be these little ones, but then you also have content specific ones, including ones that are very specific to the sexual content, sexual actions, kinks, fetishes, et cetera, that can be present in the tags. And what's cool about AO3 is that when you have an account on there, you can do what's called filtering, where you can preset tags that you do not want to see fix that are tagged with it. So if you are someone who listened to my three minute explanation of Omega Verse and you said, absolutely the hell not, fuck that shit, no way, you can actually make it so Omega Verse or AABO doesn't show up ever. 
like it'll automatically filter it out. It won't show up on your feed. There's no way for you to accidentally click it. They have a ton of very specific tags. If you don't have the tag there, it's not already in the archive, you can add it. There are some people who, I'm going to say this because I'm one of them. You have, you make like a tag that's specific for yours. So for mine, I made a joke off of the magic is friendship. So whenever it is porn that I have created, the tag is the magic is semen. So if you don't want to see any of the porn that I've created, you should block that tag because then you won't have to see any of the things that I've drawn that fall into that category. There are also ones that is the no beta, we die like fill in the blank. Those ones are universal, but also fall under fandom specific. So if you are, let's say you're in to the Game of Thrones fandom and you could say no beta we die like Ned Stark okay that would be something so you automatically it's fill in the blank with whoever dies within your fandom um and new fandoms if they don't really have like a major character death or a generic death that is constantly referenced they will put no beta we die like men um just to basically say that no one has proofread this they just raw dogged it like threw it up there so if you see errors whatever that's why um there's also the tag which i've referenced earlier the dead doves do not eat so when you see a fic that has a major archive warning for like major character death non-con something non-consensual sexual relationship something like that they really mean it so when you see dead doves do not eat you are getting exactly what it says like you are getting exactly what it says and anything that's in the tags that they tag if they tag bdsm if they tag i'm trying to think of like ones that like i would actively avoid like water sports um something like that if you see that plus dead dub do not eat there's no hyperbole Mm-hmm. They're not doing anything that's not like a joke. It's like that's what's in there. When you right. open the fic and you read it, that's what you're getting. So that also really helps because if you're someone who doesn't want like a literal major character death within your fandom, you don't want to read that, you can filter out major character death that does do not eat. Okay. And it won't show up for you. Or you know to avoid it if you come across it. So but this is incredible because previously, right, you just had grapefruit, which means so there's something kink related happening that is up right. to the mercy of whoever labeled this. Whereas mm-hmm. now if I go in there, I know exactly what's in there. And so if I look at it, I can go, ooh, I don't know. Or sometimes you literally sit there and go, the hell is that? And then you find out something new and you can either be like absolutely not or you can be like all right okay maybe maybe that's fine so part of what you part of what you mentioned previously was that there's accountability under the system yes so if for example i was writing um an au fic for twilight in which um it's bella and the the uh oh darn it i'm forgetting her name um the the vampire the cullen sister alice quotes alice yeah i hate that i know that okay (laughs) (laughs) 
you so, so so if i was if i was writing an au where no the main relationship is is bella alice mm-hmm. um and i put in there uh if if i mislabeled mm-hmm. and instead of and instead of putting bella slash alice yeah i said bella ampersand alice yeah would it be like where so somebody somebody reads it and they're like oh well okay i i was looking for you know sisterly friendship and and girl power and you know they send I a got, mod to I your house it. and you are automatically executed on site it's called okay mod shot body. in the back of the I'm head i'm kidding okay, okay. cool yeah. so, All right. so actually no. what happens is that if there's a mistake in the tagging what they have is they have a support that you can contact or you can okay. at on twitter the AO3 Wranglers or the tag Wranglers and what their job is is that they go and they check. So if you tell them like, hey, I don't think that this fic was tagged properly. I think it's either missing this tag or this tag is incorrect. They will literally go and check. Um, And so if it's an issue, they can make the changes required. Um, So they can override and fix it. the other thing that sometimes happens is depending on the fandom and the community within it. So like in my fandom community, usually what we'll do is somebody will be like, Ooh, Hey buddy, I think you mistagged that. And like, you can leave a comment and usually it's not taken as like a negative. And so sometimes people will just be like, Hey, I think you missed a tag here. You <laughs> should probably put this. And you nine times out of 10, they're like, Oh shit, my bad. And they'll fix it and they'll make like a little blurb at the top to be like, yo, someone called me out on this. I didn't know I didn't tag this. My bad. Like I I fixed it. But there are other ways for them to literally, they have people that like they, that's what they do. They're like paid through the funds that they raise. Their job is to maintain the tag system so that you don't have an accidental mistake like that. And it can be checked and there's an accountability asset, which is, those are brave people. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> given, pretty cool. given this layer of accountability and it's largely mm-hmm. grassroots and they raise money to do this and mm-hmm. given the lack of commodification um, and essentially the overall effort toward a lack of abuse of the reader, uh, which, you know, I appreciate that uh, as... <laughs> as somebody who's read authors saying that they were going to try to test the reader and see how far they could go. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, given all those things, uh, what is what's in the future for fan fiction? Um, I want to hear from both of you on this in terms of what's coming next. Cause we, we tend to look at the history of a thing and then try to based on that, see what's coming. So you two are both active in these communities. You two are both very well versed in the history of these communities uh, to the point where I, I feel like we've given it short shrift and could have gone another three episodes. Um, and uh, I want to hear what you guys think is going to happen uh, going forward. So, Sean, haven't heard from you for a while. Uh, do you have thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> I think uh, one thing I see an awful lot of is. Um media variations i mean uh, we've seen in the last few years uh since 2000 and, and um the uh, uh phantom edit of um star wars uh, a lot of um re-edits of um of movies now uh incidentally massive shout out to Adiwan and his um 
uh, Empire Strikes Back revisited and Star Wars A New Hope revisited, where he's creating entirely new special effects shots to revamp the movie. Um, uh, filming new actors, even. And uh, the democratization of some of these tools, I think you're going to see a lot more of that. You're going to see a lot more um, uh, really pretty high-end creative works like that. I think you're probably also going to see an awful lot more um, uh, spread of this to more people. I think you're going to see a lot more people considering, you know, fanfic the thing that they're going to be reading on the beach, you know, for vacation time, rather than picking up some awful book in the uh, uh, airport uh, 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 gift store. Okay, cool. Tessa, what do you think? I can see it going two ways. We continue on this trajectory where people are using Fic to create these communities of creatives, of people creating art and literature together, um, increasing accessibility, uh, increasing accessibility of people seeing your work. Like, um, I hate to use the word exposure, but it is exposure. Um, mm. But like having it become more socially acceptable because previously it really wasn't socially acceptable. Um, and so not having to be a dirty word anymore and having people engage with it more and having it become more rewarding, again, from the love aspect, the people that are creating it um because you know we see people now making tiktoks and instagram videos and stuff about the fact that their kindle is literally full of epubs of fan fictions that they've downloaded off of ao3 i'm freaking is i'm not gonna lie about it um and like encouraging their friends who write things that they really like to like go places with it because we're actually seeing people that started as fanfic authors changing their fanfic so that it becomes original content and they're able mm -hmm. to publish it like um i don't like her stuff no hate for her, but she does like no i mean i don't like her either but <laughs> this one in particular the trope was like basically like if you flipped it it really wouldn't be okay but i don't think a woman assaulting a man is okay either and so it was like a title nine violation basically in a workplace it's a raylo fic and it was called the love hyper hypothesis i think ali something would i don't know my husband mentioned it he he was gonna read it and we were both like reading a whole bunch of like romance novels and he was like oh but it goes like this and i was like that's a title nine the violation i will never read that i hate that i hate that trope entirely that is the worst again not to yuck anybody else's yum i'm fantasy is one thing all right but you know as person who tends to work with these things uh, sure yeah i can't condone that so like again not for me you know mm -hmm. king shame in this house as long as it's fiction i guess it's fine but like that was a fanfic it was a very low fan fiction that literally if you look at the cover it's still very low mm -hmm. like the art is still definitely like that's adam driver but whatever he's just like rendered in like a vector art form anyway um so like it'll be interesting because like there are bookstores that have like displays of authors that started with like fan fiction like Fifty Shades and Twilight mm -hmm. and all that stuff, which like 
Hell yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure I read. I am like 100% sure. If it isn't, I don't understand how. But like I read a book um, called If This Gets Out. And uh, really cute. Very tropey. Um, boy band. And I was like, this is a One Direction fan fiction. Okay. This has to have been a One Direction fan fiction. If it isn't, I don't believe you. But I mean, it was cute. It didn't matter. It was cute. But so we're either going to see this continued appreciation for fan fiction and this mm-hmm. continued embrace of people that are fan creators. Or we're going to see what starts as like wholesome engagement and interaction with fan creators and bringing them into IP spaces into expletive. And I'm really hoping it's not the expletive one. And I would mm. love to see it continue to be like a mutual agreement, people being willing to work as opposed to feeling forced to work. And gotcha. right now with what I'm seeing and what I'm seeing with AO3 and how fiercely people are defending these fandom spaces and how important it is for people that these fandom spaces be preserved. I'm hoping it's going to be the library of Alexandria that doesn't get burned down. (laughs) Okay. So yeah, that's, that's actually the analogy that occurred to me was, was, you know, when, when you talk about all, all the folks that are involved in it and all the folks that are involved in, especially the the fan lore portion of it um yeah i i think i think we we need to worry less about it being uh burned down and more about storage media uh changing too rapidly for things to be shifted over uh you know with with the march of technology which is a whole other historian talk i could oh yeah get onto on another occasion but yeah cool all right. Well, geez, thank you both uh, for for being here with us and for taking us on this long and winding journey. Uh, yes. is, um, thank you for tolerating the long and winding journey. <laughs> what people don't know is that we edited about eight hours of content out of this. Um, yeah. So you know, that's that's on the cutting room floor. That'll be the bumper reels for years to come. There you go. Yeah, for yeah. forever. So, uh, well, let's go around the horn as I see it. Um, and uh, Sean, what are you recommending people read, or what media would you like them to partake of? Uh, I'll say two. First one is um, Alexandra Quick in the Thorn Circle by Inverarity. Uh, it is uh, the first in a series of novels that are in the Harry Potter universe, but are completely disconnected from it and set in the United States, dealing with our history and, and our um, failings over over time. It's, it's truly amazing, wonderful. Basically, it's what uh, J.K. Rowling would have written had she not sucked. Uh, I'd also tell you to go re- go uh, look up Adewan's um, uh, uh, versions of Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. They are definitive versions cool thank you tessa how about you i'm actually looking at my little my little, my little thin pdf epub files um but i also recommend two i'm going to do um one that is a fan fiction off of the novel red white and royal blue by casey mcquinston definitely read that book if you haven't um most of their stuff is Actually, all three of their books that I've read um, are really good. But the thick in particular um, is by an author uh, author that goes by Clotted Cream Fudge. They are 
probably one of the wittiest and funniest authors I've read. Um, their banter is peak. Um, I have like laughed till I've cried. Um, and it is called You Know the Rules. And I highly recommend that you read it. And I can only hope that someday somebody will tell me what they thought of it and probably yell at me because there is absolutely a lovely little surprise in there um, once you start reading it. And then trying to find it. What did we call it? A friend of mine wrote it. I did art for it. I don't know why I'm going to put this on there, but I will because she's such a good author. Um, her name on here is Pretty Lights Big City, all one word. Um, she writes numerous fics in the Simon Snow fandom. Um, really, really talented author who does very emotional um, and meaningful adult content so I will say that if you are under 18 don't touch this with a 10 foot pole please. well you shouldn't be listening to this um, podcast anyway yeah, but yeah. Su- super don't um, and it is called what did we call it nope that's not it oh there it is it is Nope, that's not it. Just kidding. You know what? I'm going to just... Anything by Pretty Lights Big City. I'm just going to put it that way because I can't find what the heck we called it because we've written so many together. All right. So you'll find it at some point, but all of her stuff is amazing. Cool. Ed, what are you recommending? Um, I'm I'm going to recommend, recommend what I consider to be a commodified fanfic. Um, and I'm only going to recommend the, the first book in the series. Um, it's a very long series. Um, started in 2006. The first book is Horus Rising by Dan Abnett. And uh, it, is, it is essentially a legitimized uh, fanfic written in the Warhammer 40,000 universe. And Damien, you'd actually enjoy it, despite your disdain for uh, uh, Warhammer 40K. Well, and and all fiction that isn't Star Wars, because basically uh, it's it's about the interactions of the Space Marine Primarchs, uh, which means it is um, excuses for a whole bunch of roided out, hyperdramatic men to engage in grudge match after grudge match after grudge match. Are they like pun battling? No, they're they're engaging in in uh, uh, power armored murder gymnastics. Oh, eh, you know. So yeah. you know, sure. it's it's got that it's got that pro wrestling angle. Okay. Um, okay. I mean, I mean, right all the way up to you know uh, fur fringe and and you know dark eyeliner. Okay. Um, so yeah. Uh, also, after I finally get around to doing cyberpunk, I'm going to be talking about the Primarchs. Um, so in, in their in the development of their lore in the 40k universe so Ooh. yeah I, I i very strongly recommend the first book in the series um it's a very long series and it turns into a slog after a while but the first book is a good read okay how about you 
There we go. Uh, well, I'm going to recommend as as the one of these kids is doing his own thing. Uh, I'm going to recommend City of Plagues, Disease, Poverty and Deviance in San Francisco by Susan Craddock. Uh, it's about the bubonic plague, amongst others that happened in San Francisco from 1900 to 1904. A spoiler alert. It turns out that people back then didn't believe in quarantining properly and thought that business mattered more than people's lives and then ba- blamed the entire thing on Asians. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a good thing that we've learned so much mm. from those lessons. Time so, is a compressed disc. Yes. So, anyway, that's that's what I'm going to uh, recommend. Um, Sounds does, delightful. Uh, well, you know, you guys have all these cheerful things, and I figure just, you know, a little something that most people are going to read and go, this can't be fucking real. Um, so there we go. There you go. All yeah. right. All right. So, uh, does anybody want to be found anywhere online or elsewhere? Getting head shake. Not I. Head shake. Okay. Ed, don't where... find me. There you go. Ed, where can you find or if us? If you do, don't admit that you found me. There you go. <laughs> uh, we, we collectively, uh, can be found at wubba wubba wubba, uh, dot, uh, dot com. Uh, or, uh, I mean, you're listening to us, so you've either found us there, uh, or you've found this podcast on uh, Stitcher or the Apple podcast app, wherever you have found it, please subscribe, please give us the five-star <coughs> review that, you know, Sean and Tessa have earned us. Um, and, uh, we can be found, uh, as long as that hell site, uh, remains operating, uh, on Twitter as, uh, geek history time. And where can you be found, sir? Uh, let's see. July 7th, uh, August 4th, and September 8th, you'll find me at Luna's in Sacramento, Slinging Puns with Capital Punishment. Uh, it's going to be some really good shows. Uh, yeah, I mean, come out there. The weather will be nice, and uh, you you will really, really enjoy all the puns that we sling. So, uh, cool. Well, thank you both, Sean and Tessa, for being on our show with us uh for the duration this has been fantastic oh, thank you yes. guys thank you yeah thank you both yeah, very very you. much i'll say it again it has been fantastic oh there we go there we go <laughs> come on people all righty uh well for a geek history of time i am damian harmony and i'm ed blaylock and until next time keep rolling 20s